Okay. We have uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and get started because we always seem to run out of time, even though we have a minute left, and, and I can do my introductory remarks and no one will miss anything. This is Brandon Bennett. Uh, Brandon is one of our new additions uh, to staff. Um, many of y'all uh, may know that uh, some time ago, uh, a lady by the name of Bibby Smith, who was a parishioner here, um, who many of y'all know, uh, when she died, she left a large bequest to the Advent. And so we've been using that to uh, do all kinds of fun little extra things. And um, like our, our new retreat house uh, for the dean in Mexico. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but no, positions like uh, Brandon and being able to expand uh, various and sundry ministries uh, through the generosity of another parishioner uh, who was excited about the curacy program, stepped up and gave some money uh, to bring Adam Young on board. And of course, Adam will only be with us for a year. Uh, and Brandon is with us until he's fired. Uh, or quits, or quits, he's here indefinitely. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what your, your role here is. I'll ask you about that, and then we'll, we'll get to know Brandon. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you draw us together as family, as brothers and sisters, uh, by virtue of our baptism uh, in you. And so, Lord, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place, that our eyes might be open to the work you are doing in our midst, and Lord, that we might be drawn closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Brennan, tell us, uh, before we get to, to the work aspect, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, your background, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I always love those questions, just yeah. so wide open. Uh, my name is Brandon Bennett. Uh, I'm originally from Pensacola, Florida, or right outside Pensacola. Um, what else? Uh, I started uh, college at University of West Florida in Pensacola, and then I transferred to Sanford uh, and finished my accounting degree, and then worked for a year, and just somewhere in that process decided uh, that God was calling me into ministry. So uh, I ended up at Beeson Divinity School and finished uh, in December, and here I am. Does that, does that cover... Any, any, uh, vaguely, but, vaguely. um, what else so you, um, yeah, so you, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, so you, you got your MDiv at, at Beeson, uh, and, and typically it's an ordination route, but you've kind of come to the Advent in a roundabout way. So tell us a little bit about your background growing up, uh, religiously okay. and, and how you ended up at the Advent. Um, yeah, so I was born and raised in a Christian home. I was born and raised in church. So um, my great uncle, uh, grandmother's brother, started a ministry in Milton, right outside Pensacola. It was a fundamentalist ministry. Uh, Grace Bible Church was the name of it. Um, so I went to church there all my life, uh, went to school. There was a kindergarten through 12th grade, went K-4 through 12th grade there. Um, and so I always kind of knew the gospel message, um, but uh, really I didn't hear the gospel uh, and believe it until high school. So fundamentalism is my background. Um, and then sort of ended up at Beeson, um, went into Baptist life, then Presbyterian, 
now Episcopalian. <laughs> so I've been all over the map. It's normally a five-step plan. Um, <laughs> Um, so what yeah. is it about, you know, I mean, you, you grew up in a very decidedly conservative background with a lot of emphasis on, on, on how, one's, how one lives their life, sort of uh, yeah, demonstrative it. Christianity. Right, a little do. bit do-it-yourself kind of. Right. And so yeah. uh, what, when did you, you said you, you heard the gospel and, and received it for the first time in high school, but when did you make the transition, and was it through a particular ministry, when you were able to actually cry uncle and give up and say, you know, not that there weren't valuable contributions to the way that you grew up, and yet now all of a sudden your eyes have been opened to a much bigger picture of what the Bible has to say about the Christian life. Yeah, so like I kind of alluded to, I naturally assumed I was a Christian because I heard the gospel content. I, I knew Jesus um, died and was resurrected. I knew the Bible was truthful. Um, very stereotypical sort of conservative evangelical fundamentalist values. Um, but in high school, um, you know, I guess just after assenting to propositional truth content, it really never sunk deep in here. Um, and the Holy Spirit, all I can say is the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that I myself was a sinner. Um, you know, as I reflect back, it was always about what everybody else was doing wrong. Um, uh, and then just coming face to face with my own sin, really. Um, sort of being honest about myself. Uh, you know, there's a, I don't know if anyone listens to the Civil Wars. Uh, the Civil Wars. Um, <laughs> it's probably true. Uh, the band, the Civil Wars, uh, Joy Williams is one of the singers. Uh, she has this song that she just came out with about a month ago uh, in her new album. And I can't remember the lyrics exactly, but I feel like uh, the song You Loved Me is sort of my story a little bit. She talks about... Um, perfect never could be good enough for me. Like it was always a trying to, she's probably talking about a relationship with someone, uh, a human relationship, but she's always talking about um, how she had to reach perfection, be good enough, and put forward a perfect self. Uh, and she says something about she created her own story and told herself this lie, but was hiding herself from uh, the other person. And I sort of feel like that's my story in fundamentalism uh, growing up. It was hiding myself, always trying to reach perfection, uh, and then miraculously through God's grace, the Spirit opened my eyes to see that I myself was a sinner, and I could actually face the dark. Do you feel like there's more pressure to hide oneself in the church than outside of the church? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I may be saying something a little too sticky, but I always tend to think that religious people are actually more in trouble than um, an atheist or an agnostic, uh, because the atheist has given up, in one sense, in one sense, given up on trying to reach God, has given up, in a sense, on trying to uh, put forth a religious self and trying to earn. Um, they, they've kind of recognized that the God that they can reach is, um, is really a God of their own making. Right. So when you say religious, you're, you're speaking sort of a pharisaical idea of, of religion that, that if I just 
when you talk about religious people, you're talking about people who think, if I do this, this, and this, and avoid this, this, and that, right. that I'm fine with God. Right. Right. So there's, there's, uh, there's almost, um, so with the, with the atheist, um, and as uh, Richard Hayes and others have pointed out, when someone comes into his office at Duke University and says, I just can't believe in a God who fill in the blank. And Richard Hayes looks at them and says, well, I don't believe in that God either. Uh, good. Yeah. Uh, we're on the same page. Uh, that, they, uh, that they have actually rejected a false idea of, of, of who, what God is. Right. Um, but they don't have an alternative. They don't have, they don't have anything to, to fall back on. So when you were in that context growing up and you felt like, okay, for the first time I can be honest with myself, did you feel like you could be honest with other people? in your church you grew up in? Um, I'm sort of, by the way, he's not given me any set of questions, so this is all new to me. I'm kind of aiming, yeah, I'm so kind of you know, aiming I'm for that show on ESPN where the guy always cries. Uh. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I speak, I'm thinking about it. So um, yeah, I would say that's probably the case. Um, I've said before uh, to someone um, that my Christian life used to be about earning favor with my teachers and the pastors. And I think that kind of goes to the question. Um, there's a little bit of dishonesty there. Mm -hmm. I had to hide. A lot of projection. Right. Yeah. So you, you went off to Beeson. And tell me, I mean, you just finished in December, so tell me a little bit and tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about what that sort of crisis of identity is like in the context of seminary. Is there this hyper sense of I've got to be the best Christian while at seminary because I'm going to be ordained theoretically, I need to really ratchet it up? Or is it a place where people actually are a little, able to be a little more honest? Um, yeah, it's a, uh, tough to answer. I, I did notice at Beeson, just being honest a little bit, um, no lie to us. <laughs> there's, there's, I think there's always um, an identity making wherever you go because that's the human condition. Um, and seminary has a place uh, or can cultivate sort of this environment where you're trying to be the best of the best, mm -hmm. um, especially for those of us coming out of um, maybe an evangelical background that's not been very thoughtful and then you get into this place that's thoughtful about their Christian life uh, and theology and so it tends to become a competition um, and um, a little bit devoid of practicality uh, mm -hmm. in a sense um, always trying to kind of uh, be a theologian um, in an ivory tower I guess right. so that's kind of how I would answer that. But yeah. there is more honesty. I mean, there's more honesty about your own personal self mm -hmm. than there was in fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Can you, I always feel like that at seminary, especially at a place like Beeson, which is wonderful because it's ecumenical, you have people from all kinds of different denominations. Can, can you tell who is who just by appearance? I feel like Baptists stand out in a certain way that others don't. <laughs> Um, well, I guess the people with the collars, you know. Yeah, they, they do. You can always tell there's Anglicans or Episcopalians. Yeah, and that's the funny thing about uh, a lot of Anglicans. Um, 
You know, I, um, I am a big uh, objector to wearing my collar on vacation and if I'm someplace where it's not necessary, because it doesn't get you any deference. I've tried that with the airlines, traffic court, it doesn't work. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so the, you know, so when I look out in the, con and I'm not trying to be judgy, but when I look out in the congregation and I see an unfamiliar face with a collar on, uh, immediately I, I know how they feel. They want me to recognize you're important, right? I know they're, you know, where you are. Where I love a little bit of anonymity. Like I don't want people. In fact, I normally will say something outrageous as I leave the door uh, to dissuade them of any notion I might be a priest. Uh, and um, worst sermon I ever heard. I said that a couple weeks ago, and uh, when I was at a church somewhere that won't be mentioned, um, I didn't say it that way, but I did say that 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 was not very good. Um, but uh, but with. I mean, was there a spirit of competition at Beeson? I mean, in that, I mean, in, I mean, any regard, um, where people were, you know, it felt like there was sort of a pecking order or an attempt at one. I would say so. Um, um, and this is not to denigrate Beeson by any means. I'm not. Uh, no, it's a great place. Meaning it that way, yeah. Um, but you know, uh, students gather after class. Uh, to catch up and relax, and it ends up into a theological conversation, and mm. it, it can become about, well, I'm reading this person, and I'm reading that person. Uh, Are they really reading them? I, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I got on that one. Okay, all right. Well, good, so you graduated, and, and now you're here uh, amongst us, and um, by the way, there is a professor of mine uh, in the audience, so there, I yeah. probably should tone it down about reason. No, no, no. I, well, you actually have yeah. a couple board members here as well, oh, including okay. me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm one of them, so it's 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 okay. Um, so tell me, you know, one of the. Uh, let me just say that there there isn't, uh, in my estimation, a better place. Uh, to do your theological training in the United States, maybe even the world right now, than, than Beeson. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just, uh, it, its faculty is made up of a who's who. They're the ones writing the textbooks that all the other seminaries are using. Um, and uh, I, I found seminary to be a really hard time mm -hmm. uh, for me. And so, and I think it is a hard, you know, you always see people with bumper stickers on their cars that have their, you know, their college or their boarding school. When's the last time you saw a seminary bumper sticker? <laughs> nope. Uh, and so uh, it, just, it just doesn't happen. Um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, Beeson is a really fine place, and Timothy George, uh, God has used him in a remarkable way uh, over there, which is one of the reasons. I mean, the fact that you were at Beeson was mm -hmm. a draw to us when you came on the radar screen. Uh, but tell us a little bit about, okay, you grew up in that background. You went to Beeson. You kind of messed around with Baptists and Presbyterians, and now... Um, and uh, not y'all's mind is in the gutter. So, uh, and then, uh, but then, then we kind of came on the screen. But like Episcopalians, right? I mean, was there a sense in which, uh, or were we familiar to you through things like Mockingbird or anything like that? Yeah, the Advent especially was familiar. So, um, I became familiar with Mockingbird a couple years ago, about halfway through Beeson. Uh, so, uh, Advent through Beeson uh, and through Mockingbird came, became more and more on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, so is the question partially, was it tough for me a little bit? Is that well, no, not necessarily, but I mean, what was your thought? Uh, I mean, were you, so you were excited about coming to the Advent or, or what was your feeling or even your impression of the Advent before you even showed up? Yeah, I, 
I have to say I think it's refreshing. Um, it's amazing just to see a congregation that uh, is by and large honest. Um, there's a sense of charity, of graciousness. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm before a crowd of you guys. Um, it, it's truly remarkable to see what a continual message of the gospel uh, can really produce in the life of a congregation. Um, so, yeah, I was excited, and it's been, it's been very much worth it. Um, totally different from my experience growing up. Um, in, yeah. in what ways? Um, would have been the most wonderful surprises and would have been the greatest disappointments. <laughs> you don't have to answer wow. the second part. I was about to say. <laughs> um, well, for me, sort of the way I'm wired, um, greatest surprise, I guess, has been just the theological thinking going on in the congregation. Um, that's sort of where I feel like I'm gifted uh, and get energy in serving is theological training, teaching, preaching, um, and, you know, I was leading a Sunday school a couple weeks ago, and just to see the response from uh, the crowd, um, it just showed me how the lay people here are interested in what they believe, and they know what they believe and why they believe it. Um, so... That'd be my answer for that one. Yeah, so you, uh, you've come on board to help out with our, sort of our parish life and evangelism arm, which has always been kind of a, I don't know if you know this, before I came to the Advent, uh, actually from the time I was offered the position and accepted it and the time I arrived in Birmingham, my job title changed three times. Um, I was canon for theology and evangelism. I was canon for theology and parish life. I was canon for uh, parish life, canon for evangelism, and then finally it was set on uh, Parish life and evangelism, um, but uh, what does all that mean? What is what is parish life and evangelism? What do, what do you do? Well, quite frankly, I don't know myself. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm still figuring that out on a daily basis. Um, I've come to see it means anything and everything almost. Yeah. Um, but seriously, it. Um, you know, I, I assist Matt. Um, it's, I kind of see myself as assisting him in reaching out to the city. Um, uh, and part of that is a college ministry, a young adult ministry. Um, but uh, an evangelism is sort of what I see myself doing. Mm -hmm. uh, an undercover evangelism. <laughs> okay. So we... Um yeah. So we've got a couple things in the hopper right now uh, that Parish Life is doing, things that we, we may have done in the past and haven't done uh, in a long time, or things that we just have never done. Um, one of those things is, uh, is a parish retreat, right? We, we've got a parish retreat coming up uh, in the fall, uh, an attempt to try to get us a little bit closer to one another, get out of town and spend some time with one another. And, um, and a very special thanks to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian for helping us with a template on that, David Phillips. Uh, and... Um, but what are some of the other, you've mentioned college ministry, you've mentioned young adult ministry. What are some of the things that the congregation ought to know about and be praying about in that area? Like, what are your, what are your plans? As far as college and young adult goes? Yeah, or anything, yeah. Um, well, uh, college and young adult is always 
continuously on my mind and I'm new to it. I'm fresh out of seminary um, and it's a new thing uh, a little bit from the ground up. So uh, as far as praying for that, uh, wisdom and how to move forward really uh, for direction and how to execute that. Um, as far as what they should know, mm -hmm. more under parish life, is that? Yeah, tell, tell us um, Tell us what you don't know. Yeah, hopefully I'm not saying anything I shouldn't, but no. <laughs> uh, um, we are working on a, a literary uh, arts magazine. That's, that's kind of been a lot of what I've been doing the first month or two, uh, editing, editing a magazine. Um, uh, an arts and culture event arts and culture events fall underneath kind of what I do. Uh, every other month or so we have it. Uh, we've had two, I believe, three uh, since I've been here. Um, so that, that's, uh, you know, like we had David Zoll come talk about his book on music and theology uh, and human identity. So that'd be something else I do. Mm. Yeah, we, we are having, uh, just to springboard, uh, Tom Franklin, who is uh, a Presbyterian minister and is campus minister over at Birmingham Southern, uh, is going to be with us in a couple weeks to talk about campus ministry. And, uh, and Mark Genolette is going to be with us to talk about uh, theological education today, how we, how we educate uh, those uh, who are, are ordained. Well, I mean, you, you talked about um, being called to ministry. Do you ever, do you feel like maybe you have a call to ordain ministry? Uh, yeah, I really believe so. I've, I've said to people one-on-one, -on -one, um, whatever I do, uh, I want to do it in the service of the church. Uh, and I've often felt like I might be called to um, PhD academic life. Um, but even if I were to do that, uh, I would want to do it very much married to the church. Um, so that's a roundabout way of saying yes, very much so. What um, would you want to study if you, if you went off to do a doctoral degree? So uh, Reformation theology has become very much a part of me. Um, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with my growing up, you know, very much focused on works and the reformers um, always again and again uh, show Christ at the center. That's uh, the center of their theology. And I find that so refreshing. And uh, they just have a great critique of the modern self, of all of us, really. Um, uh, and so answering the question, because Reformation theology is very much an interest, sort of tying Reformation theology with postmodern uh, theology. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, do you have a, a favorite reformer? Like you have his poster up in your locker. Or something. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna ask about the postmodern thing in a minute too. Do you have? Yeah, sure. I mean, do you have someone like a go-to that you're like, this is this is this guy is great. Yeah, um, Luther and Calvin are um, my favorites. Um, what makes them your favorite? Just what you said earlier that just their ability to diagnose. Right. They, they again and again uh, just maintain a radical message of, of human sin, um, of the curved-in nature on the self uh, um, that is the human condition, um, and 
an equally radical message of grace. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, Calvin and Luther are my two favorites. And, you know, and I taught uh, a Sunday school class a couple weeks ago uh, on Genesis, on being human. And Luther and Calvin had the most impact in the way mm -hmm. I think about Genesis. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned postmodern theology. What, what is that? Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, Give us, give us just a synopsis of, what, of how you might define that, and maybe even give us some examples of who those folks are. Uh, I always hate that question. You know, if I'm in a coffee shop Sorry, or something. Sorry, the question. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> a quick comment, though. You know, if I'm in a coffee shop and someone says, well, what are you reading? You know, you feel a little pretentious when you start to say postmodern theology and you say the author. So Calvin and Hobbes? <laughs> um, so... Postmodernism is uh, a, a reaction, I guess, against modernism. Um, uh, let's, let's unpack that for a minute. So what is modernity? How, how would you define that? Like, what, how, how did that manifest itself in our thinking up until postmodernity? Um, I, I think all of us kind of carry a modern uh, way of thinking, and we don't realize it. Uh, Sort of an, if you just think about maybe Christian apologetics, for example, um, kind of an always needing to secure knowledge and certainty, and then only then when I've acquired certainty, then I can move on to faith. Um, you know, we have to sort of persuade the person intellectually, and then once they feel certain of it, then they can move on to belief, which is a total flip of. Um, what theology had been, which is faith-seeking understanding. Uh, I believe in order that I may understand. So heavy, uh, heavy influence from the Enlightenment and things like that. Right. But now, where that was, if you read a lot of C.S. Lewis, people like that, you hear a lot of that sort of. But now, um, but now the way that people grapple with faith, especially younger generations, um, is, is very different. And, and, mm -hmm. and what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's something I'm still trying to wrestle with. Uh, the reason I'm interested in postmodern uh, theology philosophy is because I, I think it carries within it uh, something that is refreshing and good for theology, a good um, avenue or medium which uh, we can again, uh, you know, speak the gospel. Um, as far as what people are like in postmodernity. Um, all I can say on the, off the top of my head is kind of a storyless self. We have, we have no sense in our culture of a, uh, of a shared past or a shared future. We're just individual autonomous beings walking around and our desires remain uh, endless. Um, I, the way I know how to put it uh, uh, in the moment is a storyless self. Mm -hmm. I have no overarching uh, narrative with which to make sense of the world, really. So what does that look like in the everyday, I mean, does it look like <clears throat> aimlessness, aimlessness, or does it look like intentionality, but in intentionality trying to achieve self-fulfillment in the path of least resistance, or both? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I have a direct answer to your... We're getting deep. 
<laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I didn't expect this to go this way. Um, I think it's, I think, I mean, this is what we're, this is, I, 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 the only, I, I'm just responding to your answers. Uh, the, I mean, what we're dealing with in the culture right now is uh, you, can, you can't appeal to any higher source of authority. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of says who uh, going on. And so how that affects our preaching, how that affects our evangelism, and, um, and how much patience that requires, but also a really heavy dependence on, on the Lord. I mean, so right. it's not you just arguing somebody into Christianity. It's actually putting the gospel out there, pouring it out like water and praying that Jesus turns it into wine. Um, right, right. There's a lot of that. Uh, and, um, and in some sense, it, I feel better because the pressure's off. I mean, do you feel like, uh, though, with places like the South, which still has a, a, a general sort of veneer of Christianity on it, uh, although it's getting very thin, mm -hmm. um, that, that that is an exciting opportunity for evangelism, or is there a lot of baggage you have to deal with before you actually can have meaningful, fruitful conversations? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, um, I worked uh, prior to coming here at a place that was very much um, invited a lot of people who were post-Christian uh, and often I found myself, and I think that's because it's in the South, having to deconstruct uh, what Christianity is to them. Uh, they had a preconceived notion of Christianity and I would have to deconstruct that. What were some, uh, of, the, what were some of their preconceived notions about Christianity? Um, just various, uh, well, um, it's, it's a catch-all phrase, but um, American religion is what they thought Christianity was. And that is, um, well, that can mean a lot of things, but um, just kind of a, a, a God who is distant, uh, who is not involved in everyday things, um, he, he created the world and he stepped back. Uh, so it's a distant God. It's a God who's uh, sort of judgmental and wrathful. Um, you know, someone would make a comment, joking, but all, you know, being serious underneath um, about when he would see Jesus in the end. Uh, he painted him very much uh, as a, a judge, as wrathful, had no sense of, of a savior uh, in that. Um, it's a very much a do-it-yourself kind of uh, religion. Um, the self reigns. Uh, it's, it's my choosing. I'm an autonomous being. I can choose. Uh, that, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how and were they, I mean, was there any sense of, of openness to, to faith, or were they just, you know, they didn't see, unless it had some sort of propositional value to them, they weren't interested? Uh, yeah, I, I would say um, things I would say to them would shock them. Uh, when I would make a comment like, you know, you're, you know, if they were an atheist, I would sort of take their side. I remember being in a conversation with one uh, person who was uh, a professing evangelical Christian and one who is an atheist, and I took the side of the atheist. And 
that shocked them, shocked both sides. Um, because I perceived in the evangelical Christian uh, more of an American religion and what was not authentically Christian. Uh, no understanding of, uh, of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No understanding of God who intervenes in history to save his people. Um, a very much a do-it-yourself kind of therapy. That's, that's the other word I was missing a minute or so ago. Hmm. American religion is therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been in a similar situation. We were invited to a dinner party, and, um, which always makes me very nervous when you're told, we're having a dinner party so that you can convert our friends. And, um, and um, uh, well, we, we went to one of these, and they were actually really wonderful, delightful people, but it was very interesting that there was another couple there who uh, are church-going folks, uh, and, and I like a lot. Uh, but I found myself having to actually, they'd say something, and I'd have to dismantle what they said because it was actually profoundly unhelpful. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. somebody saying, well, you know, God will never pick up if you don't get to the phone and dial first. And I just thought, right. shoot, you know? Um, right. um, uh, I mean, it was, it, you know, work as if it depended on you, pray as if it depended upon God. Sort of the, always this self-reliance that God as sort of power additive to your life, that mm-hmm. uh, Jesus and, um, right. but never just, never just Jesus. He's the supporting actor in our story. That's right. That's right. He's, he's there to, to sort of help us out when we, when we need him. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but that, that actually, I, I found that very... Um, very difficult in in talking uh, with with other people, and uh, I mean the same uh, couple, very sweet, but they said, you know, God is primarily concerned with your behavior. That's his primary concern. I do think that that's a concern of the Lord, uh, but I don't think that's his primary concern. Mm-hmm. I think his primary concern is us, <laughs> just generally speaking, that that he cares about us as a total person. And what, you know, I mean, with things, you know, we're, we're doing some outreach to communities that, that do have sort of a false impression of, of who God is, mm-hmm. um, maybe even grew up in the church. I mean, statistically, a lot of the folks in the South who say, I don't believe anything anymore, grew up in the church. Most of them did and just had a really bad experience and said, you know, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it and just sort of throw it uh, throw it by the wayside. And so it seems like there's a, a, a very deliberate, but it may be sort of a, a slow, steady approach with these events and building relationships. And you've mm-hmm. done a, a book group, mm-hmm. right? How's mm-hmm. that going? Uh, it was a one-time book group, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're talking about maybe doing something else. Uh, we read Law and Gospel um, together, the, the Mockingbird publication, Law and Gospel, that's in the bookstore. Uh, it went well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was, and that was with someone. Uh, that was just a one-on-one thing. Um, it, it was with someone who grew up in the church um, uh, and didn't really have a theological framework. Uh, so I think it was it was good and helpful. And it's always helpful for me as I, you know, articulate it. So I don't want to paint it one totally one-sided. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. One of the big differences, you know, when Luther was coming along, I mean, his he. he constantly was dealing with his own conscience and and this whole sense of you know wondering am I right with God am I right with God and that that's that's not true anymore I mean most people you know don't don't wake up in the middle of the night wondering where they stand with the Lord um, and so how do you um, 
I mean, how do you raise that with, with uh, a demographic? I hate to reduce them to that, but I mean, it's all of us. Uh, how do you raise that need, that awareness of, of a spiritual life, of the spiritual life, in people who could really care less? Right. I mean, is it just kind of, you know, putting it before them all the time and, and giving them options and praying that the Lord would engage them? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely prayer is always an essential aspect uh, of that. Uh, we're always dependent on the Spirit as we proclaim the truth and the gospel. Um, as far as on the ground, what that looks like, I find uh, uh, law and grace a helpful sort of paradigm because uh, no one is an antinomian, really. Mm -hmm. No one is, that means anti-law. No one is just a carefree, loose, living individual. Everyone is living under their own bondage, really. Um, I, I think the teaching of the church with sin is we're all enslaved to our own selves. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I meant uh, with the Reformation understanding of the self. It's powerfully, it's a powerful critique against our modern day. Um, we are all enslaved to our own selves, uh, and it's a tyrant. We are tyrants to ourselves. Yeah. Questions? I like the direction this went in. Well, good. You, you didn't? Oh, man. Yeah, let me wipe the sweat from my <laughs> Now, this is the worst part. You just wait. <laughs> I'm curious and taken with your discussion of American religion versus Christianity. And I wonder if that is in our DNA for those of us west of the Alleghenies and south of the Ohio River in that frontier mentality that dealt with self-reliance and us against the frontier and us against the wilderness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I. I think it is very much an uh, it is very much still a part of us, isn't it? Because that's the culture we live in. Um, it is refreshing to see uh, as we move forward that the that the culture is secularizing, though, isn't it? Uh, because now we can be totally clear about the gospel. Um, so while it's scary kind of moving forward a little bit, um, it's also refreshing and I think puts the church in a good place. So yes to your question, um, that's all I got. I, th I think you're picking up on something that I would agree with. Hey. Um, <laughs> hey, Jimmy. First of all, thank you for plugging the parish retreat. I hope everyone can come. Um, I was just thinking about you know, y'all been talking about evangelism with young adults, and I very much think it's great that this role has been created and what Matt's trying to do at the 5 o'clock. I guess I'm just thinking about, you're talking about evangelism, but I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, okay, let me say this. I see a lot of 20-year-olds here, and they're children of members, and they'll help out, teach Sunday school for a little bit, and then they're gone. I guess how do we hold up church life to young adults at the Advent specifically as something that's good to be involved in, not heaping law on them, but, and also not, um, what's the word? Um, changing who we are, adapting to them, holding up, this is the Advent, this is what we do, and even as a 
24-year-old, there would be value mm -hmm. in you getting involved here on what we do on Sundays or in other stuff, I mean, you know, and not just kind of this consumer, you know, I do this, I go to this Bible study, you know, I come on Christmas with my parents. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think there are a lot of these individuals, not just, you know, people who grew up here who are believers, but are kind of like, you know what, the Advent's going to be for me when I have kids yeah. kind of thing. And I'm, that's for both of y'all. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I think that one of the things that, I mean, what eventually, what really hooks folks into a church, um, there are some initial things, but they're not necessarily things that will hold you, like preaching, worship, stuff like that. Um, but what, what keeps you in a place, uh, typically, are relationships. And so one of the hard things is that actually, if all they're doing is engaging in doing, it's actually very hard to develop relationships with people if you're taking on some sort of lead role or involving yourself, that there has to be uh, passive activity, whether that's in a small group or whether that's in a fellowship group or whether that's with just with friends. So, I mean, it really is, you know, the 24-year-old saying, hey, you want to go to church with me? And you go to church, and then you go to brunch afterwards. And that actually, and that they, they do feel like, you know, the demographic you're talking about, if you ask them, oh, where's your church? Oh, Advent. I mean, they, they definitely claim it as, as the Advent, but they're not, um, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not really part and parcel of who they are. And that's, that is a 20-something thing. I mean, if y'all remember back to being in, in your 20s, um, you know, now I look at, at these people who are so busy doing nothing. And, uh, and I'm just like, you know, like, what'd you do? Oh, I'm just so busy. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, you don't even busy. Um, and so uh, it's, but they really are. And they're, you know, kind of looking for the next best thing. And they're doing whatever is on the social calendar or the agenda. So, I mean, whether it's going to the beach every weekend in the summer, literally, uh, or going to the lake or something like that, there's always something going on. But I think hospitality and relationships are two of the biggest things because if you've got a 20-something year old coming to church that's a remarkable thing that's a remarkable thing and and so reaching out to them if you see them and saying hey glad you're here uh, inviting them out to lunch uh, invite you know getting them involved in into a small group or something like that uh, I, I think that those are the best things the thing that I make the other clergy do um, anytime we get a newcomer in um, I really try hard to get somebody to not just call them up, to actually meet with them, have coffee with them, have lunch with them in order to, to make that personal connection because the Advent's a big place. So at the end of the day, at least they can say, oh, I have a personal connection to one of the clergy. They're just not those folks sitting up there. So we do try really hard. But at the same time, I know Advent's not for everybody. And Advent's not for everybody. Um, so I don't get particularly miffed when, um, uh, when, you know, if, if, if you've got somebody who's going to a really good church that's not the Advent, you know, I wish they were at the Advent, but they're in their 20s and going to church, you know. So, but I do think, you know, like the, the Monday night Bible study for people in their 20s, that, that has had a positive impact on bringing those types of folks back into the church and some people for the first time. Uh, being able to have that, that community and have that access to a clergyman who happens to be me uh, for them. But um, it's hard, Ginger. Just one quick comment. I've known Brandon for <clears throat> four years, I guess, mm -hmm. from my time over at Beeson. <clears throat> one thing that has not been mentioned, there's another side of Brandon that uh, 
has been part of his time at Beeson, and that is, you may recognize him from the Apple Store. That that is a, um, you know, an avocation, and for some time a vocation, and perhaps that's another way that you've been able to have a platform for evangelism. But it says a lot about who you are and what your interests are too. Thank you. Yeah, Brandon, you did well. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you're here. Yeah. All right. Glad go, to be here. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>